So, Daniela, who are we going to talk to today? Hi, I'm Daniela Pantoliano. <laughs> you got to start with your name, Dan. Sometimes people are coming in. This is the hey, first episode. It's Joey Pantoliano. Joe and Pantoliano. Daniela. Hey, it's Joe Pantoliano. <laughs> and Daniela Pantoliano. And this is. No kidding. Me too. Me too. Our podcast talking about emotional distress and why you should take the gun out of your mouth. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, are we still weekly? I don't think we are. <laughs> Listen, it's the summer. Whatever. Listen, it doesn't, we do this whenever you know we want to do it. It's uh, or leave it in because it's like Donald Trump would say it over and over again. You know. God. <laughs> okay, so. We got the Danny Panster. So, Daniela, who so, are we talking to today? Christian Lopez. Christian Lopez, the uh, baseball yes. player. The baseball player and the host of the podcast Behind Mask Ulinity, which is a great name. Yeah, but doesn't he call it Behind the Mask? No. Behind Mask Ulinity. Oh. Mask spelled M A S K. Not dash. Behind the Mask, huh? No. Okay. I'll Maybe take that was right. the first draft title. All right. Yeah. But anyway, we're very lucky to have him. And I'm excited to talk to him because I'm always excited to talk to a man who is in touch with his emotions. And he's making this one of his missions. And I think that's really important to see more young men uh, and old men, all men, really in touch with their, their emotions and just talking about it and inspiring others to do the same. So let's get him on. Okay. Okay. Hi, Hello. Christian. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Yes, you... me too. Oh, there you are. How do you do? Yeah. I'm still trying to f figure out the technology. So now I see you in full screen, but a moment ago, I couldn't. Look uh, at that background. That L.A. background. Yeah, that is that is awesome. awesome. But are you? Are you in LA? Yes, sir. Sherman Oaks. What about you guys? Oh, you guys are on the East Coast. Yeah, Danny's in Hoboken, and I'm in I'm in Connecticut. Oh, okay, nice. I uh, played professional baseball, which we can talk about on the show. But played pro baseball for a long time. A, couple, a little town that I played in was uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, I know wanted to well. ask you about that because I've been I've been jonesing for a ball game, and and by the way, the. Uh, uh, the baseball interview, was invented in Hoboken. The interview just is, has begun. Know that? We, yeah, the first game of baseball was played in Hoboken, New Jersey. And I got the thing up there. What does it say? In seventeen and eighteen eighteen forty six. Whoa! I did not know that. All yeah, right. and uh, you know they they took they took boats over. Uh, from Manhattan and they played that first game there. But what I want, you know, I want to go to, to the Bridgeport uh, to see the, they have a nice stadium there. Yeah, it's a pretty good stadium. I mean, that Atlantic league, it's not, so it's not affiliated with minor league baseball, but it is professional baseball, but it's, it's really good. It's really good competition. It's really good baseball. It's really good baseball. I, uh, I went to Cuba. Ooh. Um, I married Nancy. 
right before I got married, and 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 I'm we're married thirty years, so we we went to Cuba, um, through Canada, and we went to the uh, stadium there, uh, where they played that that famous game. Um, uh, it was like an Olympic game where, where all the American players went. Uh, you know, it's a forty thousand seat stadium. It's a big stadium. And uh, I went to see a game there. And, nice. you know, there was, I don't know, maybe three or 400 people in a 40,000. Wow. And somebody hit, hit a, they hit a foul ball and I caught it. And I was like, I finally caught a foul ball. And the Cubans went, Mira, Mira, you got to throw it back. I had to give them the ball. Back. <laughs> ah, damn, that sucks. <laughs> did they call? Did they call you Gringo? El Gringo? No, no, they were very, very, very um, nice about uh, about the whole thing. And what's going on in Cuba now is amazing. Oof. It's a segue for what's going on. You know what's going on in the world. You know we talk about anxiety and depression and. Um, suicide and I, I you know i i just think it's all connected um and you know depending on your zip code uh, danielle has heard me say this that all all disease is environmental so if you work in a cold mine you're going to get black lung eventually or lung related diseases and and then if you're in a in a zip code where you're exposed. It's all about exposure. Where traumatic exposure produces, uh, you know, adolescent trial, uh, childhood trauma, and and then we build. Well, what I did, and uh, you know, I I I relate to this is that you build a character to protect yourself. It's like a suit of armor, like a mask. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. See what but, you did there, Danny. Very good, Dan. Thank you. And, Thank you. And, and then we and then we we strut, you know, we strut around. What does Shakespeare say? Uh, you know, uh, we players have a few moments on stage. We we strut. Our all the stuff. world's a stage. All the men and women merely players. No, that? no, we strut, and uh, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Um, and and that, you know that's that's what's going on i think uh and so that people more and more people are being open and free with their with their thoughts and their feelings and now you know people are going to the whole britney britney spears thing um will open up a whole dialogue to the kind of horrific uh um examples of of fraud that happened at, a lot, at, with seniors where where the seniors with with money they they're they're coerced into uh trusting someone and then they lose all their rights and 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 they they charge these and you know, there's just no no eyeballs on it you know it goes under the rug so with the Britney Spears thing coming uh you know and being examined and for the for public consumption we can we can see where um, how we can change that and you know there's a there's a movie that just came out on netflix can't remember the name of it i care a lot that's it i knew somebody would know 
oh my God. We watched, my wife and I watched that movie. And at the end of it, I was like, there's no fucking way she's getting away with this. I was angry. I was <laughs> fucking furious. I was like, if she gets away with this, this movie was, I, I fucking hate it. I hate yeah, it. Yeah. And then, you know, not spoiler alert, you know, to anybody that hasn't seen it, justice is served. And I was just like, oh, that was so satisfying. Well, that's, I un- know. that's, but that's unusual because justice is usually served on Netflix or HBO, but not, in, not in real life. Yeah. But tell us about, so I want to get into your podcast because I think that's really cool. And also being from a sports background, because I never played sports, but I can't imagine the talk coaches do specifically to male sports players. Um, but growing up, did you have any you know events in your life uh, that you feel comfortable talking about that may have produced trauma? And also... And just being a normal kid, like, how were you told to deal with like your emotions or, or were you told there are no such thing as emotions? You show up, you do what you have to do and you can't feel really any other way about it. Yeah. I can sum that up in two words. No yores. No yores. Don't cry. Ah, okay. Don't cry. Um, you know, so I grew up, like you said, like you mentioned, I grew up in a sports background, started playing baseball when I was five, you know, high school professionally, you know, for a big portion of my of my life. And then on top of that, like you mentioned, uh, Joey is, you know, I grew up in a Cuban, in a Cuban community, in a Cuban household, South Florida, just, I don't know, 95% Cubans or something like that. Um, and just Latino, but not even just Latino, just, just being a man in this world, you know, you're taught, you're supposed to act a certain way. You're supposed to speak a certain way. You're supposed to dress a certain way. You don't talk about your feelings. You don't talk about emotions. Uh, you know, that's something for, for chicks. That's something for women. That's not something us men do. You just suck it up. You man up, you do whatever you need to do and you get shit done. So I was growing up, you know, in that machismo kind of type atmosphere, you know, in that community. And then I grew up in that baseball world where, you know, you don't show your weaknesses, you suck it up, you know, everything, you know, everything that you're supposed to do as a man. So those are two arenas that I grew up in where I couldn't, I couldn't really show, you know, I couldn't really talk about feelings. I couldn't really talk about emotions. Fortunately for me, I always had a really close bond with my mom still do to this very day. But, you know, mama's boy, first, I was her firstborn. We always have, still have a very close connection. So with her, I could always let my guard down. I could always let my guard down. I could always, you know, tell her whatever I was feeling. We would have intimate, deep conversations about whatever. You know, I'd talk to her about my girlfriends or I'd talk about, you know, this that was going on or that that was going on or friendships or relationships, whatever it was. So I always had that. I had a lot of female friends growing up just because I don't know. I always gravitated to like that that feminine energy. Like I never, there was a point in my life, of course, where I was trying to peacock and, you know, be a badass and, and be a man, quote unquote man, where, you know, I would do certain things to kind of prove that I was tr- tr- uh, tough or prove that I was manly. But I always, always have, always will have had a softer, you know, more feminine kind of side and, you know, more sensitive kind of side. And I've always been that way. So it was, it was a little bit of a balancing act, trying to balance that softer, tender, side with that like i gotta go out on the field and fucking battle you know and what position did you play i was a catcher i was a catcher so i was fucking just you talk about being tough like you're getting you're getting the shit kicked out of you for a whole season you know taking foul balls off the face off the fingers off the private regions that are very sensitive you know just just everything so you really really have to be tough as a catcher on the field as well 
But that sensitive kind of softer side of me also allowed me to be that guy in the clubhouse. I was all, always cracking jokes, always having fun, always bringing every, everybody together. The, the fortune that I have of being a Latino, but looking like a white guy was I was able, cause in a, in a, in a baseball clubhouse, believe it or not, it's, it's just like high school. There's clicks. Like when it comes down to it, seven o'clock game time, everybody's going, everybody's got the same goal in mind, but there's clicks, you know, the outfielders kind of hang out with the outfielders, the Latinos kind of hang out, the pitchers kind of hang out, these dudes kind of hang out. But I was kind of like that liaison that bounced around from each group. I can, I can mix with the white guys, but it looked like a white guy. I can mix with the Latinos because I speak Spanish. I can mix with the bullpen, uh, with the relief pitchers because I was a catcher, you know, so I can kind of blend in with everybody. And I took a lot of pride in that. I took a lot of pride in just being that dude that was just dorky and just made everything kind of lively and was just like, yo, we might be different. We might be come from different parts of the world, but A, we're, we're playing a similar sport and B, we're, we're all, we're all men. We're all human beings. Like we can all relate on some level, even if we look different, if we, even if we like speak different languages. And that's kind of my, that's kind of my goal right now is just getting to the point where I was like, all right, you might disagree with me politically or this or that or whatever. But it doesn't matter. We're still human beings. We're still dudes at the end of the day. And it doesn't matter if you're a tough guy. If you say you're not scared of something, if you say you don't feel insecure about something, I call bullshit. I call bullshit. Well, you know, a couple of things. We're working backwards. You should you should take some acting classes because they they encourage you to be in touch with your feelings. So I never, you know, I never had that. I never that was never a problem in my house. But I wanted to know. Growing because you grew up. A lot of my friends from South Florida, um, you know, are two generations older than you. Um, and I know in my own neighborhood, um, you know, we were Italian. There was Italian, Irish, uh, Puerto Rican, some Cubans. I never heard the, the the word Latino. You know, you you know you you were you were either you were. You know, you were Puerto Rican or you were Cuban. And I used to break my my Cuban friends balls all the time and call them Puerto Rican. And they get really pissed at me, <laughs> you know, so it's all territorial. But but growing up, you know, in a blue collar uh, neighborhood, we I grew up on welfare, lived in the projects. So there were there were th three or four options that you could get out of the neighborhood. One was sports. One was an education. That's two, um, you know, the, the entertainment, singing, dancing, acting, and politics. Those were the four things. So, did, in your case, did you, did you were you blue collar family? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, and I want to just go back there and reiterate and touch on something that that we were just talking about. When it came to my my immediate family, you know, my mom, my dad, and my my siblings, my dad has always been very even keeled not really emotional, never too high, never too low. So he never, he never explicitly said like, Hey, don't talk about your feelings. Don't talk about your emotions, anything like that. But since he never talked about his, since he never, you know, kind of showed me the way I really never had that example of like, Hey, it's okay to feel this way. Hey, it's okay to talk about things. He never explicitly said like, no, don't fucking talk about that. You're a fucking pussy or you're this or that. He ne never, 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 did, never did that. But as a whole in that environment, you, you see your friends, you see your friends, parents, you see like machismo, like, Hey, I'm the man of the house. I say what goes. No, I don't talk about that shit. That's not, no, that's not, I don't do that shit. You know? So I saw it exemplified 
as a whole in my community, but is there, was there men in, in that community that were probably getting in touch with it? Yeah, of course. But I think as a whole, you couldn't really talk about that stuff because you were probably going to be shamed and you're probably going to be ridiculed and you're probably going to be called soft, you know? So it was tough. It was tough. But going back to your question that you just asked, yeah, blue collar. I mean, my mom pretty much all my life growing up, she was always working in doctor's offices as a nurse. Uh, my dad um, working in like import export for pretty much all his life. So yeah, pretty much blue collar. And my mom being, you know, being a mom, she was like, I want you to get an education. So coming out of high school, I had a lot of really good offers or at least interest from like some really prestigious schools, you know, Stanford, Harvard, Dartmouth, Vanderbilt. So I'm like really good. I was a good student, had good test scores, but after 12 years of school, I was like done. I don't, I don't want to play. I don't want to go to school anymore. I want to play baseball. This is, this has been my dream since I was five years old. So my mom, of course she wanted me to get an education, but this is something I will give my parents praise for, for the rest of my life. They never pressured me to go one way or the other. Obviously my dad was super, super stoked for me to become a pre professional athlete, but he never said, no, you're not going to school. You're going to go play baseball. You know, they pretty much said like, Hey, you worked hard to get to this point. It's your decision. You know, obviously my mom was like, I would love for you to get an education. I would love to be free, for you to be a doctor and a baseball player. And then I realized how much, how much schooling you have to go to be a doctor. I was just like, that's no, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a baseball player. <laughs> so they never pressure me one way or the other. And I give them praise. And I will always be grateful that, um, that they didn't push me one way or another. Cause I know a lot of, a lot of kids that I grew up with, a lot of their parents were, you know, they kind of wanted to push their kids in a certain direction. And I never felt that for my parents, which was, which was great. And I'll, I'll forever be grateful for that. But, you know, I had my options. I could have gone to school, gotten a degree. I had the option to go play baseball and I chose to go play baseball without just on my own, my own accord. You know, I never really had that pressure from everybody else. So that was, that was great. That's wonderful. Was, um, my dad always wanted me to be an actress. He's like, be an act. He's the only actor that wanted their kid to be an actress. I swear. Every other actor's like, never, never, don't do it. But, um, and that's why she's, she's not an actor. Yeah, no, I work behind the camera. I like to, and you know, it's funny for me, I think a big part of why I don't like acting is the emotional range. And I'm someone who can be emotional, but the anger emotion is something I suppress very much so. And I've never really yelled at anyone or like gotten very angry. And I was like, well, I can't, I can't be an actress. Cause if I ever have to do that, I can't do, I won't be, I won't be able to. And like, that's always scared me. It's probably why I should take an acting class and get angry. But besides the point, um, was there a specific point for you where you were like, I need to become an activist for males to express their emotions and to get in touch with their sensitivities? Like, was there like a moment? Cause it seems like you always leaned that way, right? Like you went towards the feminine and fe feminine energy because that's where that lived. But was there like a moment that like you witnessed something or was it just like a slow thing? And you just like woke up one day and we're like, I'm going to do this. Like what, what was your like call to action on that? Great question. Great question. I, I know uh, the specific date, but going back a little bit, you were talking about, Joey, you were talking about uh, acting classes. Actually, when I retired from baseball, I had no fucking idea what I wanted to do. My identity was linked to baseball. That's not just what I did. It's who I was. Well, but, mm -hmm. but, but, but slow down. I mean, but so it comes to an end and your dreams, 
your dreams don't come true. Um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like me, I'm a leading man trapped in the body of a character actor, you know? <laughs> so, 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 so how did that make you feel? Oh man. I, mean, I don't know. Captain, Captain Howard, Captain Howard was a pretty, was a pretty leading man right there. I was just <laughs> watching some videos. I was like, I was like, I was watching the Wusa video. I was like, Captain Howard was one of my, one of my favorite, uh, just, just wanted to throw that out for Thanks. But how, how did, how did that make you feel? You know, like, you know, that broken, what do they call a cup? You had a cup of coffee. What do they call that when you get up to the main? Not even a cup of coffee. I, I mean, I didn't even have a cup of coffee. I had like that shitty water that comes through the filter after you drink the coffee. That's, that's what I had. You know, I didn't even have a cup of coffee. I played two games. All you got was hot water over the old grind. That's that shitty ass hot water with those grills. Terrible. I didn't even get the coffee, man. Now I have this fancy espresso machine that I drink out of. I was like, man, this is what the big leagues taste like. <laughs> um, but didn't even get that cup of coffee. Played two games in AAA. That's the closest I ever got to playing in the big leagues. But so when I retired, you know, I wasn't famous. I wasn't rich. I wasn't an all-star. I wasn't going to the Hall of Fame. All of these expectations that I had set for myself, I didn't achieve any of them. And granted, yes, I got to play a game and get paid for it for 10 years out of my life. I'm unbelievably grateful and feel fortunate for that. But when you're in the midst of that, I'm sure for you, Joey, like you want to be, like you said, you want to be that fucking leading man with uh, all these fucking Oscars and all this shit. When you're in a job, you want to be the absolute best at what you do. And that's what I wanted, you know, and that's what I believed I could achieve, but it didn't come to fruition. And when that was over, yeah, I retired and I'm like, fuck, I didn't achieve any of my fucking dreams. I felt, I felt like a loser. I felt like a failure. I felt like I, I didn't do anything. I was like, yeah, I got to play professional baseball for 10 years, but, but so what? It wasn't good enough. So when I retired, I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I was really good with my teammates. I was good in the clubhouse. I was always making people laugh. Some of my teammates would jokingly like made up. I forgot what name they made up for me, but they're like, oh, you look like a Federico of something. You should go do, uh, you should go do, do soap operas. You should go do soap operas. And I was like, okay. So when I retired from baseball, I was like, shit, why not? Maybe I can. Maybe I can go do that. So, you know, I, I looked for some like acting opportunities in South Florida. Obviously, everything's out here in L.A. So um, found kind of like this manager, drove out to L.A., did this acting showcase, actually, you know, landed some, you know, representation, agent, manager, started going to acting class, audition, auditions, all that stuff. But that was purely motivated I'm sure, Joey, you've been doing it since you were my age when I started playing baseball. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a fucking passion for acting. I did it because I was so broken that I'm like, I need, I need to be rich and famous because I need, to, I need people to mm. know that I'm not just a failed baseball player. That's where I was mm. coming from. That was my motivation. But it was enough to motivate me for two years, for about two years. You know, going to auditions, going to acting class, going to improv classes, doing all this shit I needed to do. But it just came to the point where you know, in hindsight, you know, hindsight being 2020, I would have picked a better profession, a better industry than one where you get rejected 95% of the time. I, I just had gotten the biggest breakup and the biggest rejection of my life. And I chose, let me go be a fucking actor where you get rejected even more. And they tell you, you're not good enough. Or you're not tall enough. Or you're not this, you're not, uh, ethnically ambiguous enough, you know? So I chose this industry and I just got hammered and I just, and I booked a couple small things here and there and, and it was fun. But it just got to a point where I was like, this isn't this isn't what I want to do. I'm not waking up every day like I was with baseball. Fuck, I get to go to the stadium today. I get to be around my teammates. I get to hit a baseball. I get to catch a baseball. I get to see the fans. Like I wasn't feeling the same way 
about acting. Like it became where acting class became a drag instead of something that I was exciting for. And then I just got to the point where I was just like, I'm just, I'm just kidding myself. I'm just kidding myself. And I got home one day uh, after acting class and I just got home and I was down and I was mopey. And my wife was like, Hey, what's cool? What's up? What's going on? We weren't married yet. We we're just dating at the time, but she was like, Hey, what's going on? And of course me being a man who couldn't process my emotions or handle my emotions or my feelings was like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. It's, it's okay. I'm good. Fortunately for me, she was persistent and she kept, you know, not in a naggy way, but she kept like, come on, open up, open up. Tell me what's going on. I know something's going on. And I just fucking couldn't hold back. And I just started bawling, just started crying. And just like those like deep, like, <laughs> like sobbing cries. And I was just like, I, I don't remember what I said verbatim, but it was somewhere along the lines of, you know, I I'm scared. I'm lost. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I don't know what I, what the rest of my life lo looks like. I don't know what I'm good at. Just completely, utterly scared and lost. I felt like a kid, you know, I felt like a five-year-old kid just waiting, like wanting for my mom to come like save me or rescue me. So you know, just sobbed and, and, and just try to figure it out from then. And I was just like, okay, acting is not my thing. Try to become a firefighter. Uh, that fell through another, you know, ego crush. I put two and a half years into that. Um, then, um, what happened after that? You know, then after that, I was kind of at a crossroads again, like, okay, what do I do? Who am I? And pretty much ever since baseball came to an end, that identity came to an end. That was eight years ago it's been a struggle and it's still a struggle from day to day. It's gotten better. I've done, I've done a lot of work and then, okay, to bring it back full circle to you, Danny, where's, where's that, uh, where was that pivotal moment? So I think it was August 26, 2017, just down and out, just sad, depressed, just not knowing what the fuck I'm going to do. Um, randomly this, this, uh, buddy of mine that I had lived with, we were roommates for, for about like eight months before my wife and I moved in, we hadn't spoken for like a little while. He just randomly hits me up. He's like, Hey man, something told me to just reach out to you. Like what's going on? Let's, let's hang out. My wife just happened to be out of town for work for a few days. So I was like, dude, I got the weekend free. Let's, let's go have lunch or grab coffee or whatever. So we met up for about like three hours, had an awesome conversation as we always did. You know, and this friend of mine was like an actor, like a real, like working actor, like in touch with his emotions and with his feelings. Every time we'd have conversations, super open, super deep, super intimate. Um, so we had another one of those for about three hours, you know, held back tears, uh, a few times. He told me some really encouraging stuff. And from that day forward, I was just like, I gotta, I gotta stop fucking waiting for something to just happen to me. I gotta put in the work. I gotta do something because I'm just repeating the cycle over and over, just waiting for something to happen. And I have to, if I'm going to get out of this rut, I need to get myself out of this rut. I can't just wait for some magic bolt to just hit me and, and find myself out of it. So that day, I was just like, all right. He gave me some like videos to watch, some articles to read. I went home by myself. Oh, he gave me like a Tony Robbins like video to watch. I watched that fucking crying just by myself on the couch. My wife was, was out. So I was just like, I was just letting it all flow, just crying. And that led to some more articles and that led to some other videos. And ever since that day, I just told myself, you know, I need to make a change. So I started, you know, getting into meditation, getting into yoga journaling, just doing, you know, devouring, you know, I started reading a bunch of Brene Brown books and like, just doing anything I possibly could just to get myself out of that rut. And that was, you know, almost four years ago. And ever since then, it's just been, you know, that kind of turned into putting out some blog posts and opening up about how I was feeling. And then the blog posts eventually turned into like, I can speak a lot better than I can like type. So let me turn it, maybe I can turn this into a podcast, but from the idea of doing that podcast to actually sit down and do it, it took me about a year 
because again, those fears of like, who the fuck is going to, who's going to listen to this? Who cares what I have to say? People are going to think I'm dumb. People are going to call me a pussy and soft and weak and a beta male and all this. So there's so many fears and insecurities and hesitations that I just had to fight through. I just had to fight through until one day I just Googled, how do I start a podcast? I had a good microphone already. I had every, I had a laptop, I had everything I needed. The only thing was just to break through that barrier of fear and, and insecurity and shame and doubt and worry and all this other stuff that I was dealing with. And then I just started it about, I don't know, two years ago now. And yeah, it kind of just kind of just blossomed from there. And it's just led me not just to the podcast, but you know, I'm part of this group called Every Man. It's a community of men where we're just, you know, it's all about getting more into your body and getting out of your head and getting in touch with your feelings and your emotions. And it's just led me to like some speaking uh, opportunities here and there, guests on other podcasts like this. And it's just led me to just become a better, better man in the sense where I'm, I'm just me, you know, Joey, how you talked about early on, you, we put on, we, we develop these masks, we develop these facades. And I feel like that's something I developed for such a long time because one of my biggest struggles is getting over the fact of what people think about me, what people say about me. That's one of my biggest fears. You know, whenever I do anything, it's like, what are my family going to think? What are these people going to think? What's my wife going to think? What's this person going to think? And that's been one of the most crippling fears that I've had to work through is like, what are people going to think instead of just being okay with like, what do I think about myself? But after doing this work, I've realized like I'm, I'm my own fucking worst enemy. I, I say shit about myself or I think shit about myself that pales in comparison to what other people say and think about me. And that's, that's been one of the big struggles that I've had to overcome. I can, uh, I can relate. Yeah, that was amazing. I can relate to a lot of that. Like the, the not like the trying this, trying that, it not feeling it. Like I've always said, I'm someone that's like, I don't even know if I have a passion for anything. Like, I just don't, I don't, I've never like felt like, Oh, th this is what I have to do. I've never like woken up and be like, I have to do this today. That's just, it's not something I've had. I'm glad you found this and like it, it suits you so well. When you were feeling like down or like lost, did you like develop any unhealthy habits? Like, and it could be as, as you know, severe or as, as like drinking or, or anything, or like my, I'm, I'm realizing more and more like my like unhealthy habit and like how I like self-medicate is Netflix is TV. And it like came from a place where it's like TV was just like how I bonded with my dad. Like we watched movies together and like I just, the TV was always on. And then like once the invention of like Netflix and all that stuff, I just like I watched other people. So I didn't have to feel my feelings. I felt their feelings. So what habits did you maybe develop and how did you come out of those? First of all, did he did he make you watch any of his movies? No, because uh, for a long time, um, I, I couldn't, uh, but now still, cause he like dies in everything. I can't watch him die. So like now, cause like for a while, it was like, not till you're old enough to. And then when I became old enough to, it was like, I still don't want to watch him die. Like, like, I mean, I'm sure you're a Captain Howard fan, right? So you saw the third one. So that's no. So I haven't seen the third one and I didn't know they killed off Captain Howard. Okay. So I didn't ruin it though. Okay. Yeah, because I was reading, like, I want to read up about Captain Howard. I want to say some clever stuff oh, when I'm yeah. on this podcast. But I just found out today. I was like, what? Get out of here. Yeah. I'm, look, I'm, I'm the type of person that even if you tell me the movie, I'm still going to want to go watch. Oh, oh, me too. Yeah. 
Me too. But that but one, I like looked down. I because so I knew that, it was gonna happen. I was like, <laughs> but Daniela from the vine, I don't die, and I don't die in any of my cartoon movies. Uh, I watched those. Baby's yeah. Day Out was on like a loop. I loved Baby's Day Out. So, so, but, 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 but I have to say, in the Matrix, when they killed you off, I was, I was, I was kind of like, come on, you fucked them, like you fucked them. Although, although one of my favorite lines from that movie is when you say when you eaten that steak was that a filet mignon because that looked like a filet mignon Ignor- <laughs> yes. ignorance ignorance is bliss that just it pretty much encapsulates everything that we're going through in the world right now everything that we always sometimes just like fuck sometimes it's better not to know yeah yeah absolutely i was actually when i said that line 20 years ago i was still ignor- blissfully ignor- ignorant uh unfortunately i was i, I was woken but uh, <laughs> the uh, the whole idea of um, examining one's one's life uh, it, it's worth it. It's important, um, and, and you know the idea of of no kidding me too from its inception. I think two thousand nine. I've been doing it since then. Was talking about you know. You know, at that time, it was like stomping a stigma because people were dying because they were afraid to ask for help. And they and they were ashamed of the feelings that they were having as a result of the feelings that they were having. And and I I didn't think anybody had those feelings, had those thoughts. I thought I was uniquely crazy. uh, and, And I felt a lot less alone when I discovered that what I was going through. Um, there's a lot of people going through it, and and when I talk about it, it makes them less feel less alone and less isolated because I think that uh, that the part of my disease, you know, this distressful diseasiness, um, wants me to isolate, wants me to be alone, wants wants me to kill myself. Not, it's really not good. It's not going to be happy, and uh, uh, unless I end my life and. You know, I was I was trying many ways to end my life and you know and 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 just push everybody away. So the idea of people now, a decade later, it's become it's be you know, we, we talked about when I started No Kidding Me Too is the idea of making it cool and trendy to be crazy, you know, like like it was okay to not be okay. Um and somebody just somebody just coined that phrase that we we've been saying that for ten years. But the idea was is to make it make it popular. the The idea was that kids had their their dope dealers on speed dial, you know. So wouldn't it be cool if they could talk about their emotional distress as easily and as frequently as how high they got the night before? What's hap- what's happening now is, is is a decade ago, somebody would be in rehab for a cocaine addiction and they would say, oh, they're an alcoholic, you know, because an alcoholism was much more acceptable then. Um, and, and so the idea of mental illness is becoming acceptable. And the discussion of one's mental disease is acceptable because it's a temporary situation. It's not permanent. And I like that. I like that approach. I like that idea. Yeah. No, I love, I love it. I love it. And, and like you said, just making it 
normal because you said, you know, you mentioned the word crazy, but are you really crazy if you're going through something that everybody else is going through? Like, you know, there's this stigma of like, oh, it's weird. You're different. You're crazy. But like, am I really crazy? Because you're probably going through the same shit too or something or something like it. And one of the biggest, huge, probably the best benefit that I've gotten from doing this stuff and doing the podcast and speaking about this stuff is just like you just mentioned, for such a long time, I didn't talk about it because A, it's just not what men do. You know, I was I was scared of being ridiculed and shamed. But then on top of that, I was just like, it's not what anybody, but it's not what anybody does. It's not just men. Nobody talks about their feelings. Um, you know, uh, unless, you know, it's like, unless you're they're, you're angry, you know, coming from a, a Italian American family, we, we were very emotional, you know, and we said <laughs> anything to each other. Uh, Healthy and, emotional, I guess, is what the goal should be. <laughs> Dealing with your emotions in a healthy, yeah, you communicated know, it's, it's like if somebody's stepping on your foot, you know, you, you, you can say, hey, get off my foot. <laughs> You're stepping on my foot. Ouch, that hurts. Can you take your foot off? Um, you know, that's that's acceptable. That that and that should be the case. And you hurt my feelings. I mean, I, you know, I, I I've, I've been approached by by people or somebody uh, else, you know, one, 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 in, one situation comes to mind where a colleague said, Hey, you know, so-and-so is really upset. You said something, you, you know, you were joking, but you really hurt their feelings. And I, and I went over and, and, and talked to them and, and, you know, we got to the bottom of it. And I felt terrible because that was because, because what I usually do is, is if I like you, I'm teasing you, you know? So, and, and also, Right. But the, I, you know, the, the, everything is changing. The, you know, all the rules have changed now. Um, I'm, 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 I'm 70 years old in September. And, and it's like, I don't know how to approach anyone anymore. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm 70. I'm glad that I'm at the end of, you know, <laughs> the end of it rather than in the middle of it. The habits. I want it. I want the answer to the habits. So going back to to Danny. So for me, uh, baseball obviously was a huge one. You know, no matter what, no matter what was going on outside the lines, when it came seven o'clock and it came game time, nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. Complete distraction. Like I can focus. Like focus a hundred percent. Maybe in retrospect, now that I'm thinking about it, like shit, if stuff was going out on the field, was I really entirely focused or, or was part of myself over there? But baseball was definitely one, definitely a distraction. I could just pour myself completely into that. And then also I, I was never, I've never been, never been a big drinker. You know, I drink, but like socially, you know, but I've never been, you know, alcoholic or anything like that. Um, you know, smoke some weed, but never like that. Tried some other stuff, but not, I never really have, never really had that addictive personality. But one thing that I think came close was sex was sex for me when I was single for about five years before I moved out to LA and met my wife. Um, and those five years, you know, before that I had had like three girlfriends in a span of like 10 years without much like single time in between. It was kind of always like one girlfriend to another. And I think a lot of that was because I felt very codependent. You know, I felt very codependent. Like I could, I can't, I can't do this on my own. I can't figure this shit out. I need somebody else. I need somebody there with me by my side. And I think a lot of that, which my mom and I had a conversation uh, recently, a lot of that came from like, my mom actually told me like, oh yeah, I coddled you. 
Like I admit it, I coddled you, you know? And I think a lot of that came from that where I was always dependent on my mom because I always knew she would be there. So I think I kind of, kind of took that into my relationships where I always kind of needed somebody there for me. But then I was single for five years. But when I was single for five years, that was kind of when my baseball career was kind of on a downward trajectory. So I was feeling shitty about that. You know, I was feeling shitty about my baseball career. It was It wasn't going the way that I had envisioned, the way that I'd expected. So that was going poorly. But the only way that I could feel good about myself because baseball was going in such a bad direction was sex. You know, I was always good with women. I was always good at, you know, just seduction and, and charm and all this stuff. And that was something that I was always good at. You know, the sex part was always good. So that's something that I always used to make myself feel better. My, I could have had a terrible game. I could have had a terrible season and just playing really shitty. But I always knew that, you know, when it came to women, like I could always make, you know, I could always please a woman. And I think I used that in a very selfish way, in a very selfish way of like, it's not, it's not about you. I'm not trying to make you feel good. I want to make you feel good because it makes me feel good, you know, because I get pleasure out of pleasuring you. Um, but it was very, it was very shallow. You know, it, it allowed, it, it didn't allow me to get really deep into relationships. I'm not, and I met some amazing women. Listen, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of meaningful, meaningless sex. Uh, oh know, yeah, no, I, me too. Me too. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I, I would open myself a little bit up to these women and that was probably making them think like, Oh, this is more than just meaningless sex. And mm-hmm. I probably would lead them on a little bit. And then when they got too close, I felt so ashamed of who I was and where my life mm-hmm. was that I was, when they got too close, I was like, no, no, no. I don't want you to see the, the the pain and the hurt and the trauma and all the insecurities that I'm dealing with. So I would push them away. I wouldn't call them. I wouldn't talk to them. No, but I'm with you, Joey. I'm, I'm, I was, I totally relate to that. The minute that they, you know, in my young life, you know, the, the, the conquest and the minute the, the you know, the, the minute, the, but the minute that they showed affection, I just shut down. I just shut down. I did that too. I did like in middle school into high school, like I would like flirt and like text and be like, Oh my God, I like you so much. And then, you know, when they were like, Oh, let's like be boyfriend and girlfriend. I was like, Oh, I've got a lot going on. I can't do that. Like I would be like, Oh no, I can't actually like, be with you that's too much no that was probably it for me because that like i said I, my life could be falling apart around me and i could be feeling shitty about myself in other aspects but that was one aspect where i always felt really good about myself but then it just got to the point where you know i was having this this meaningless six where maybe to me it was meaningless but to them it was just like oh it's cool this guy's really nice and he's really charming and he's really funny but then he just bounced on me yeah. you know to them it probably wasn't meaningless but to me you know, it was, but it just got to the point where just like, this is fucking empty. I want, I want somebody to connect with. I want somebody that I don't have to fucking put this mask on. I don't have to put on this facade where everything's okay. Or where I'm this fucking super cool guy where deep down inside, I'm not feeling super cool. I feel like shit about myself, Yeah, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't express that. Not to anyone at least. Yeah. I think sex is an interesting one. I think a lot of people might have that one too, and they don't even realize it. Like I, for sure. I, I definitely for a time, cause when I started, I didn't lose my virginity till I was like a 19, 19. Um, and your dad, your dad's listening. Oh, listen, <laughs> this household is very open about that stuff. <laughs> she, but, she, um, she came and told me, she said, I have something to tell you. I'm a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, but I believe it. (laughs) 
Um, but that was at the same time I was just diagnosed with depression and like was like realizing all of this like emotional stuff. And so like the sex was like, oh, if I do that, maybe I'll actually feel something. And like it never happened because it's not for the right reasons, you know, so it's um, that's an interesting habit or vice that people will use. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily see it as like a vice because it's just a natural thing we do. It makes us feel good. Like what, what I, what I call my seven deadly symptoms, you know, um, as a young kid, for me, it was food. That was the first thing food made the pain go away. And then, and then I discovered masturbation you know, and, and, and that made the pain go away. And then, and then I was, I was, um, you know, I put on 120 pounds cause I was eating my, you know, just eating and eating and eating and I wanted girls to like me. And so I, I started starving myself and I got high off of that. You know, the idea, the, the accomplishment of not, not eating, uh, after seven o'clock at night and waking up the next day and feeling like I didn't do it. You know, I would be, I would be jonesing. I would be, you know, so, so, you know, then it was alcohol and success. Success was a big drug for me. And, and once I started becoming successful, the hole did not get filled up. So, so it's a bunch of stuff. It's a bunch of stuff. And, you know, the way, the way I I look at things now, it's so much easier for me now because i i have such i have a, a sense of contentment and um relaxation and, um i i just can be with myself there used to be i i couldn't be with anybody i, I mean I, I i was afraid i would have parties uh you know, i'd be surrounded by people and i'd be the loneliest guy in the room i would literally i would literally have parties and take a walk i'd go go for long walks and leave, leave my family behind or go take a nap. Yeah. Where's Joey? He's a, he's in the den taking a nap and there's like a hundred people at the party. It's cavernous. It, it, it can't be filled. Um, so it's, it's regulating my, my feelings and my thoughts. Having, having an understanding that that's just a chink in my armor, you know, that, the, that, that's, a part of me that's that unperfect part of me that uh, there's an old 12 step saying, it's like, if you want to get out of the hole, stop digging. And, uh, and that, and that's helped. And, you know, talking about stuff helps and, and, and having, having a, a sense of, of, um, of enjoyment and, but you know, I'm still fairly miserable. <laughs> Man, that 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 fucking resonates so much with me, especially lately. Because lately, um, you know, like I said, ever since I retired from baseball, it's just trying to fill trying to fill that hole essentially with like baseball again or, or something that I'm that that I was that joyful doing, and I haven't been able to find it. And you know, that resonates with me because I'm one. Sometimes I wonder. I'm like, fuck, am I ever gonna find it? Am I ever just gonna have to accept like, hey? That was a part of my life that was fucking great. And maybe nothing's ever going to make me that happy again, work or career wise. And it's something I've been, you know, working on with my therapist over the last few weeks. You know, I was, had this job that I've been working at since November. 
and it was just getting to me. And I was to the point where I was just like, I'm so miserable. I'm anxiety ridden. I just want to quit. And then I was going to quit like a couple weeks ago. And I was like, no, I'm meeting my therapist today. Let's, let's hold off on the quitting. Let's, let's have that session. Let's see what she says. And we talked about it. She's like, no, like, look, this is just my opinion. I could be wrong, but my opinion is I think this is just a pattern that you just keep doing in your life. And it has nothing to do with your job or your status. It's just something within you that you have to just overcome. And then hopefully you Mm -hmm. overcome that. And you're like, fuck, it wasn't the job. It was just me like this, this, I don't know, self-loathing or this pity or this insecurity or this fear. So, so that's something we've been working on and it's been getting a little bit better. Job work's been getting a little bit, a little bit better, but yeah, I can, I mean, that fucking, I can, that resonates with me a fucking thousand percent, man. It's also the idea of what, you know, what is happy again, the environment of, of being exposed to uh, a public relations uh, monolith that tells us that we shouldn't feel anxiety. We don't have to feel anxious. We, We can, we can be happy all the time as long as we consume things as long as we're we're buying things, um, you know, and we watch reality shows because, oh, those people are happy uh, and and they're rich, and so the the idea is people want to aspire to to being billionaires, and um, and 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 it's it's um it's wrong. Before we wrapped it up, I wanted you to plug your podcast and tell us what. It is. We know what it you is. You should call the it listeners. There's No Crying in Baseball. Ah, nice one. <laughs> That's Tom a good reference Yeah. Damn, yeah. I don't even want to, I don't want to wrap up. I want to keep talking. I know, I do too. I'd like to hear Tom Hanks say that in Spanish. No llores. Esto es baseball. No llores. Esto es baseball. Yeah. Es baseball. No llores, coño. You have to say coño. If you're, if you're saying it like a Cuban, you have to coño. say coño. Coño means balls, right? No, coño is like damn or like fuck or like, I don't know. Oh. It's like, I was trying to, it's funny. I was trying to explain to my wife yesterday what like a Cuban, like we, you say holiday in Spanish, but like, it's so hard. It's like the example I gave her is like a, a good, a good context to use holiday is let's say I was telling her this, let's say I tell you to do something and you're like, no, I'm going to do it my way. And then you do it your way and it doesn't fucking work. And you're like, ah, it didn't work. I, then I would say holiday, like Fuck, go fuck your not go fuck yourself. I don't know. It's it's hard to translate. That's, ba, ba, that's Italian. Like, is, I told you so, but like Italian with more is bafangul. Bafangul is it is go fuck yourself. Yeah, bafangul. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah, behind behind the masculinity, M A S K dash U L I N I T Y. Um, yeah, I just we just have conversations on there, kind of like this. Just open up and talk about shit that's not sports and that's not cars and that's not all this other manly stuff, we get deep into our emotions and feelings and just, you know, the, the aim with that is to get men to listen to it and be like, Oh shit, these dudes are having conversations about this stuff. Why can I have these conversations with my dudes and my bros in my life? That's, that's the aim with that. And I think the more we can do that, like you've been talking about Joey, I think the better off we'll be because none of us are fucking perfect. And none of us, uh, some of us are fucking a little crazy here and a little crazy there and it's fucking okay. And the more we open up about it, the more we accept it, the more we can see Oh shit, I'm not fucking weird. I'm just I'm like everybody else. I have one last question because we were so lucky to get you because you um helped coached our our friends little league team. Jason. Jason. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was so much fun. I want to do that again. Oh, you'd be a great coach. And so my question is as a coach or like if you were to like 
advise coaches, sports coaches, and it can be for male or female, more leading into the male because, um, because that's what we've been talking about. Like what advice would you tell the, like advise the coach to coach? Like what would you change with that? Like their techniques and coaching. So I want to say a couple of things here. So one thing that I told the kids at the end of the season, when we were all huddled up and I was saying, Hey, thanks for being so awesome. One of the main things I told them that if you remember one thing from this whole time together, remember this is that you're so much more than just baseball players, because I think that's what, that's what really messed me up. I mean, it made me the athlete mm-hmm. that I was, but then at the end of my career, I'm like, I don't know how to be anything other than a baseball player. And the, the, the percentage of the kids that are going to make the big leagues is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. So you're so much more than baseball players, but then as coaches, I mean, pretty much treat them the same way. Like, yo, yeah, like work hard and, and instill, you know, that, that, you know, I, I busted my ass and that was great. But at the same time, they're human beings. So treat them like human beings. Don't treat them like a fucking racehorse or don't treat them like a commodity. They're human beings. One of the best coaches that I had when I would, when I would, you know, the dynamic we had, it wasn't like, Hey, he's my coach and I'm a player. It's just like, no, he's like my friend, you know, that's, but at the same time being my coach, but I felt like I can go to him about anything, like see him more than just players. They're human beings at the end of the day. And you're more than a coach. You're fucking mentor you're a role model you're so much more than just an athletic coach well we'll definitely have you back to talk because this was just awesome i can do this for four more hours i can just shoot maybe i'll come to maybe i'll come to your neck of the woods and we can all get together in person thank you so much Uh, i was really looking forward to this and it did not disappoint you guys are great well that was good he's a good kid and he was awesome we gotta have him back Definitely. And he was just so open and honest and just, it was so, that was one of the easiest interviews. I mean, they've all been easy, but that was just one of the most natural. Simpatico. It was just great. Daniela, yeah, it was simpatico. Just, simpatico. It just worked. It just flowed. Ebbed and flowed. Is that, that's the thing? That's Ebbed the flow? thing. That's the thing. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm tired, Danny. I love you. I love you too, daddy.